1: Welcome to the Press Gallery, the Edmonton Journal's politics podcast, the end of Session Blues edition. It's Friday, June 10th, 2016, and my name's Sarah O'Donnell. I am the Edmonton Journal's Opinion Page Editor, and happily, I am not alone today in the newsroom studio. I am joined by City Columnist Paula Simons. Hello, Sarah. Welcome for- back. Thank you very much. Provincial Affairs Reporter Emma Graney. G'day. How's it going? Very well. Thank you very much. And for our first segment, Janet French, Journal Education Reporter, and my uh, companion in Fort McMurray
2: re-entry is here with us. Hello, Sarah. Thank you for reliving your teenage years with me last week.
1: <laughs> it was a lot of fun. <laughs> I love you Just say, we did not go full out teenage years or would
2: have been we went to max it would have been a different thing
1: yes (laughs) (laughs) so as noticed in the uh, title of this episode the second session of the 29th legislature I did look that up wrapped up this week we will discuss whether it came to a conclusion with a whimper or a bang but first I wanted to have Janet on the show to talk about her story in Friday's edition of the journal tied to the Education Act now the Education Act oddly enough didn't come up particularly in this session of the legislature. So I got to say I was a little surprised to see it there on our front page. So why is this in the news now, Janet?
2: For the uh, the last little while every time we hear school boards talking about planning for the future, they're have always alluded to got to get ready for the Education Act and not really sure when it was going to be proclaimed. So I'd actually been asking about it for some time, saying, what is this Education Act and why is there a school act and an Education Act? So then it turns out that um, there wasn't really a date that they thought it was going to come in, but they just soon, the nebulous, soon. And so so I had been asking Dave Egan about it and they had been giving some hints that, well, we might have some news about that. Soon, Soon. (laughs) So on Friday, uh, he did send a letter to school board chairs and probably other education stakeholders uh, saying, yep, there's a delay. We want more consultation on it. And uh, there's some things that are standing out for us that are new issues that are did not come up during the first three rounds of (laughs) debate on this act. Uh, Among them are are schools ready to accept 20 and 21 year olds for free? Do they have the programming for that? Do they have the funding for that? Uh, in addition, it was um, that a lot of urban school boards have boundaries and they're very, they're, we've written many stories about parents upset or trying to um, manipulate the boundary system to get their child into schools that they want. And one of the changes in the education act says that they're going to decide um to designate a student where they live not where their parents live Mm. so that opens up a potential new avenue to manipulate the system by say you don't get into harry ainley and it's full that year you go live with your aunt who lives in duggan so that you can go to harry um so then it's a student's address uh and then the third thing is that dave eggins says there's not enough specific language in this act that talks about supports for first nations metis and inuit students so he wants to actually be quite specific about that
1: so this is very interesting to me because one of the things that struck me is I wrote about the introduction of the Education Act the first time when I was education reporter and that was many many years ago and then it took many many years for it to actually pass when did it actually get past third reading
2: it passed in November of 2012 and then the regulations were written by the end of 2014, and I, I believe we wrote a story about the the draft regulations.
1: But they've never the regulations have never been enacted either. I'm not even sure. <laughs> well, I guess not if the act hasn't been proclaimed.
2: No, so it's just been radio silence since then, and that's why all the school districts are just waiting to find out is it time. So How I'm gonna ask now? you, Paula, now? what
1: do you make of this? Because this was such an important this was laid out back in the day as the you know such an important thing to have. Put in place by the then education minister at the time.
3: Well, you know, and, and education ministers plural. I mean, I think of it as Dave Hancock's baby, but it was also Thomas Lukaszewicz as education minister who had to shepherd it through its last round of political intrigue because you'll remember the protests at the legislature from parents who were upset about what the act said about homeschooling and uh, you know what what parental rights were going to be in it. Uh, so it's it was a firestorm act for all kinds of reasons. What it said about kids with special needs, what it said about homeschooling, what it said about, you know, uh, boundaries, all kinds of issues. And I think that probably Hancock and Kazak thought it would be their legacy piece. But it's a bit difficult for a new government, especially a government that has quite a different philosophical underpinning, to decide that it's going to begin its mandate with somebody else's legacy piece. So I don't I'm not surprised that the NDP might want to have one more look at it before it passes, but I have some advice for them which is don't open this can of worms too much because I think in some ways the NDP should be very very grateful that Hancock and Lukaszek stick handled this through some very very tricky territory and once you reopen this you you know you, you pick the scab off and start some of those very fractious debates all over again so i'm i you know one might advise them to proclaim it and amend it in two years but i can also understand why egan as education minister wants to put his own stamp on the act that defines his portfolio
1: had you heard much about education no. in the legislature during no. the session no? no so it was just kind no. of totally under the no. radar No. What's the reaction from school (laughs) districts about the news? Have have you had a sense yet of how they're feeling to hear that it might get never actually proclaimed and real
2: haven't talked to a lot of them the the one that i have talked to is edmonton public and the chair michael jans wrote a blog post instantly about it saying how happy he was and he thinks that they should kill the entire thing amend the school act and this actually this this act this wanders into very complicated territory and it has to do with the curriculum which is a whole other like curriculum revitalization which is i think is a whole undercurrent of what's going on here so um the the thing that prompted the education act to go ahead in the first place was some kind of study or survey or i don't even really understand what it was something called inspiring education Inspiring. apparently you know
3: it's
1: all Sarah's about it <laughs> okay inspiring <laughs> it it was a very long process that included many um sessions of of dialogue and meetings across the province and stakeholder gatherings so many sta- and more stake, conferences. more stakeholders
3: than a barbecue
1: at, yeah at Stampede. and it was like a, it was a multi-million I missed burgers. it was a many million dollar <laughs> exercise in getting gathering information and and learning best practices and figuring out what yeah. we had to do to educate students in the 21st century which tells you that this happened either in the late 1990s, wow. the very you know, this, this gives you a sense like we were at like the cusp of the 21st century when this all started.
2: Good lord, start there, but there's there some Anyways, connection there with discovery learning, right? Oh, yeah, yes. okay. So, that so here's breaking news. I emailed the education <laughs> minister yesterday and said, So inspiring education, what's what is that thing and what have you done with it? And uh, the Dave Egan spokesperson wrote back, inspiring education was a report to the last government, some of which was implemented and broadly supported. We would like our students to be inspired. We also want to ensure that they understand the basics. So I think that there is a connection here between um, there's an aggressive move to update the curriculum as well. And I think it's probably uh, listening to some of the parents who had concerns about discovery learning
3: and especially with the math curriculum right you'll remember that our colleague David Staples has written one or two or 312 pieces (laughs) on this subject Uh, so you know this was very much Dave Hancock's baby and there were so many landmines in this field I do not envy the new education minister in trying to figure out which of these things he ought to adopt, which of these things he ought not to adopt, and I mean, let's remember when Jeff Johnson was education minister in uh, the Prentice government, keeping track of these things, you need
1: like, a flow, I need, I a flow need
3: chart. I do need a flow chart. Yes, it's a flow chart like like the like the family tree of the Greek gods. Um, <laughs> you know, there was tremendous controversy in this portfolio in, in, in a funny way. All of the conversation in the education ministry this year has been about LGBTQ rights. And we sort of stopped talking about all these other subjects, which are in many ways just as inflammatory.
1: You know, it's very interesting. I had not realized. This is just, just I didn't realize that it hadn't been proclaimed. But I think that we can look forward to a summer with lots of chatter about education. Woo! So thank you, Minister Egan, for that. <laughs> we'll have many podcast topics. So thanks for coming on the show, Janet. We no appreciate problema. you giving us that update. And we'll... Unless you want to talk a lot more about the carbon tax, uh, we'll we'll let you take your leave.
2: I got to go write more stories. OK. OK. Thanks.
1: So now that we've let Janet sneak out, we'll go back to just looking at the more recent past, the end of the session. Yeah, I, I actually found that really quite terrifying. It was sort of like my whole life as a journalist flashing before my eyes. <laughs> yeah, that was. It's, uh, it's very interesting to see what's old is new again. Now, I want to find out from you, emma paula you've watched this session now this was your first session of the legislature it was of the alberta legislature it specifically it sure was How do you think the session ended up for the government? Maybe you can talk about maybe the what they see as their crowning achievements or what you know what you see as most important. Paula you can tell us you know who you think came out well and who maybe had a tougher time to end it all up.
0: Well I mean wrapping it wrapping up I suppose we had the the climate change bill bill 20 carbon levy all of that giant thing that government kind of pushed through that we had the giant debate by wild rose that went through the night and we had people staying there till 4:37 a.m trying to you know i'm not sure they were trying to stop it because they really didn't have a chance ever to stop that thing because of course majority government but that's what um rachel notley said well this is our she didn't say this is my baby i'm so glad it's through. but yeah well she said it was important that. to her right Super important yeah it's, it's one of the big big things that they're obviously pushing for. So that, I think, for the NDP government was the the biggest thing out of the session. Um, of course, we had the Fort McMurray fires, which kind of laid a blanket over the entire session, uh, well, the last half of it, I, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um Wild Rose would probably prefer it if we looked at the deficit and the budget that was unveiled early on in the session. Yeah, that,
1: that's right. That was at the beginning of the session, was, wasn't
0: it? Right? It's one of those things you go, oh yeah, that old chestnut. <laughs> I forgot about that's that. Right. And so you kind of go and look back and go, oh yeah, no, that was that was bad. Mm-hmm. That wasn't great. Um, and then of course we had uh, the interesting uh, how uh, I keep asking you this, how do we phrase this the interesting kerfuffle with wild Rose? The interesting times with Wild Rose, the thorny... The inter-Nicene
3: Civil War brewing within Wild Rose. I don't know what we call it yet. Yeah. Do you think that's yeah,
0: yeah. We need to find a catchy title for that. Okay, we'll work on that. Yeah. yeah for the next so time. then that was really at the end of the session uh, for Wild Rose. Things just got kind of wacky for those guys. We had... A number of different things come out on social media. We had the whole Filterbrand um, thing that started. Oh, I think we talked about this last week. Mm-hmm. Um, then we had the more thing come out. Now we've had the, the leadership issue for for Brian Jane in uh in is that Hanson's running
1: yeah, yeah so what's going what is going on there because so last week I yeah listen to the show and thanks very much to Keith for hosting and I t- heard you talk about the issue going on with with Derek Fildebrandt and and how he was being I guess ultimately invited back into the Wild Rose Caucus after a brief very brief suspension but it didn't things didn't end there and and there was a, the story evolved on Friday I think after you recorded
3: well what happened yeah. on Friday is that the news really sort of percolated out about this very peculiar blog post that nine members of the Wildrose Caucus had signed off on, which, first of all, compared Bill 20 and the carbon tax to the genocidal Ukrainian famine that killed millions in Stalin's Ukraine, uh, Stalinist controlled Ukraine.
0: Well, it, it said and that socialism... Um, causes a lack of work ethic which caused the famine in ukraine so this is
3: offensive on two fronts one uh you know this is like godwin the alberta version of godwin's law the longer any debate goes on in this province the greater the likelihood that someone will compare their opponent to stalin which in alberta is an extremely loaded thing to do given the number of people here who trace their roots back to eastern europe but beyond that offensive of stupidity which minimizes the tragic death of millions of people uh to suggest that the Ukrainian famine was caused by a lack of work ethic among socialized farmers is a, the most grotesque distortion of history. Because, in fact, during the years of the Holodomor, uh, crop yields were up. What happened was that the Stalinist forces came and seized all the grain and starved people as a matter of public policy as part of forced collectivization. I mean, this is not really open for debate anymore, mm-hmm. um, you know, any more than arguing about how many how many people went to the gas so chambers how did this
1: go so off the rails for the wild rose because i mean i think we can agree that you can oppose the carbon tax you can think yeah, that it's not a good policy right you can believe for a wide range of reasons that that is that is true and you can make arguments but how did how did this end up kind they, of being part of the wild rose perception of the carbon tax as
0: far as i can tell they just hate the thing so damn much that they wanted they just were using these high kind of mm. statements to try and um, illustrate um, um, how much they hated it. Mm. The problem is when you just go and say something as utterly ridiculous as that, um, and then uh, they did take the the blog post down um, mm-hmm. and then Hanson got up in the ledge and gave a very shame-faced apology, but it's probably also worth noting that when we were trying to get comment from the nine MLAs who put their name to it, none of them would talk to us. Mm. We got... Um, oh uh, one guy had his phone up you know said he was on the phone i have to be honest with my doubts on that because i didn't see a name on the screen (laughs) i know when i'm on the phone there's always a name yeah um you know so he just he yeah right so he wonders i'm on the phone
1: yeah. And um, so, but and so, did they fix it though? let it's important because no, I mean I think know, we can no, acknowledge they, that you can make mistakes. They, they right? You can, yeah, they okay. did
0: apologize. Um, I don't think they apologized for the right no. thing. And part of the part of the problem
3: is that they took a distorted argument by a noted Stanford scholar, uh, Thomas mm-hmm. Sowell, who's a fellow at the Hoover Institute, which is a conservative think tank at Stanford. Uh, he's a very provocative. Historian, uh, African-American conservative, writes a lot about racial politics. And and he did write a chapter in one of his books about the Ukrainian famine. So I went and looked it up on Google Books and I read what he actually wrote. And what he actually wrote was to say that it is completely incorrect to attribute the Ukrainian famine to anything to do with, you know, socialism and work ethic. And he details in quite lugubrious detail the way Stalin's forces engineered this famine Uh and I have to say, to me, this is very personal because my uh, my mother's family, particularly my grandfather's family, were were terribly victimized as 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 residents of Ukraine during this time. Uh, I, I have a lot in common with a lot of other Albertans on this subject. So, you know, what they did was to take the writings of a very provocative and noted conservative thinker in the United States, misread and misconstrue them. And then come out with this completely tone deaf statement, which was deeply offensive to their own party base. I mean, how many uh, people of Ukrainian descent in this province are, you know, rural people who would naturally be part of the Wild Rose uh, target demographic? So, I mean, not only was it, you know, offensive to the NDP, it was offensive to lots of people who
0: are, are not
3: leader well and in fact this seemed to unite the progressive it, it conservatives did. in the ndp yeah, right they
0: both got up and they both gave oh scathing um member statements at the fact that these wild rose mlas had done this now it's probably worth noting too only the one wild rose mla got up and said hey sorry we did that uh you know how mm-hmm. bad and, and, the he, other guys and, who, and he said he, he said oh, we shouldn't have made light of it it's like no that's yeah, not the that point it, it kind mm. of it, it, the apology it was there um props for that from one of them not from all of them Mm -hmm. um and it did seem to kind of miss the point as emotional as he got about his family uh dave hans got about his family and how oh i've got these ukrainian roots and blah 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 and my family's from there and it was bizarre to me that he got up and told his family history and then they went, so sorry if we uh, misrepresented that.
3: Right.
1: right, so rough end of session for the Wild Rose. But
3: that's not their big problem. Okay, their, their, what's
1: their big problem?
3: Their, their big problem is, uh, you know, today's story from James Wood at the Calgary Herald, uh, which is that Dave Hansen's own writing association is calling for a leadership review of Brian Jean's leadership um, to be held, you know, imminently. And then they want an annual leadership review Hmm. of the leader so you know in addition to the Derek Fildebrandt thing and the pushback against Jean arising from that he has a terrible problem the constitution of his party makes it very difficult for him to crack down on this kind of thing but you know one gets the feeling that in these last few weeks I mean poor Brian Jean whose leadership I think through the whole Fort McMurray fire has been exemplary Um, I've been very impressed with how he's he's, dealt with that he's been being kneecapped by his own caucus and his own constituency associations uh, and I think the party has a terrible problem because they don't look ready for primetime I mean this is what was the undoing of Daniel Smith I mean here's Brian Jean who came in took over that party when very few credible people wanted to assume the leadership won more seats than Daniel Smith had won in the previous election has been giving them not Maybe a plus leadership, but pretty stellar, you know, rookie guy leadership, and has looked very uh, leaderish. I thought like this yeah. through the through this whole fire. I thought period. they did very and well on the
1: budget. That's when yeah, I thought that I thought okay, the wild Rose, they're presenting themselves as a credible alternative to yeah. government, yeah. and
3: now they don't look like a credible alternative to anything. They look like people who couldn't organize a a company
0: uh, a company Christmas party. Hmm. So Brian Jean at the end of session. um, I did ask him about some of this and he classified all of this as little bumps Mm -hmm. and that's that's the quote and he said they're little bumps and we're united and we're going to present a united front um, for Alberta and um, we have changed some of the way we do things to make sure these little bumps don't happen again. And you know, it's an extraordinary thing because if you think about how this session started
3: off. Uh, what a bad news budget that was. Oh, such a bad news budget. Such a bad news budget and the very, very legitimate criticism that came from all quarters of that budget from all different perspectives. And you think about some of the technical difficulties, shall we call them, that the New Democrats are having just in making the House run, you know, with a rookie speaker, with lots of, you know, fumbles and uh, own goals in those first opening weeks. A couple, and, yeah, not too many. I don't know. if um, well, So many, but definitely some, yeah, so, okay. Some that were embarrassing, Okay. and suddenly the fire comes along. The fire changes everything. The fire puts all the discussion about credit ratings and the budget on the back burner. You should pardon the expression. Um, uh, Notley and her government look very in control, very calm through a crisis, Everything has gone about as well as it could possibly go in the circumstances. I mean, even this week's news that the firefighters from South Africa were being uh, you know, really underpaid and Notley steps up and I'm going to fix it. Everything that she's touched in the last few weeks has gone golden for her in, in public opinion, whether it's going to play out as good public policy in the future. And they got that carbon tax through, they did. They got the car. You know, they didn't have to pull back on it. I mean, this isn't like Bill six, where it was this whole screaming train wreck of people. I mean, there were no protesters outside the legislature complaining about the carbon tax. And the Wild Rose. true. You know, I mean, they come out of this session, which started off looking like a nightmare for them, looking pretty good. And the Wild Rose, who went into this session very, very strong, uh, and who could have come out of this proclaiming victory have ended up, you know, really undoing all their own accomplishments.
1: I'd be interested to see some new opinion polls because the previous opinion poll showed the Wild Rose leading, I think, in public sentiment. But I wonder how all of this will have changed that, if at all. Well, you know, and
3: what we don't know is all those polls are snapshots
1: in time. At this moment, as I'm speaking to you on
3: this particular Friday, things... Brian Jean has had a very bad week, most of which is not in any way his fault. Um, What things will look like in September, what things will look like in December. Oil got up above $50 this week. Uh, You know, everybody's got a different speculation about where oil prices are going. If oil prices recover even to $75, suddenly Notley's budget doesn't look quite as horrific as it did. Mm -hmm. And and in the meantime, we've got all the uh, GDP boost of all the Fort McMurray rebuild that's going to reemploy all kinds of people who'd lost their jobs. So, uh, you know, uh, what's the old cynical expression? Never let a good crisis go to waste. Mm-hmm. Uh, if the New Democrats can continue to capitalize politically on this crisis as effectively as they've done, it's going to give them back a lot of the mojo that they had really lost over, you know, much of their rookie year where they had a lot of little bumps
1: the NDP do have their convention coming up this weekend it's down in Calgary so our colleagues at the at the Herald and Calgary Sun are going to be covering that and we'll I'm sure have things to talk about that next week what happens there Yay. but did the Premier give any sense earlier this week Emma about where they where her government goes from here over the summer
0: yeah um during the kind of end of session wrap there um she spoke about going out into because into the constituencies um, and also pipelines, having a discussion about Kinder Morgan pipeline. And that kind of seemed to be a bit of a a focus. Um, Hmm. You'll note Brad Wall uh, from Saskatchewan was here earlier on this week. He was invited. Talking. Yeah, he was invited. <laughs> oh yeah, just like Derek Fildebrand asked. See, ask and <laughs> oh, you shall receive. That's so nice, Alberta. Yeah. Oh, hi,
1: you guys. <laughs> um, we welcome he- our Saskatchewan <laughs> friends.
0: <laughs> yeah, so I, I think that's, that's going to be something on the agenda. I have asked whether... Um, like brad wall um the premier will be heading out east to try and market the pipelines and i was told yesterday well we're not announcing anything about that today so who knows maybe there will be some kind of um Mm. pipeline mega tour announced uh it's really hard to say at this point but they're of course going to try and make that push over the summer to Come on, guys! Seriously, let us have that pipeline. Mm -hmm. I think that's and I think the premiers
1: usually meet in July, so they'll be. Of course, I think yeah. So there'll be perhaps that'll be a topic there as well. Yeah, twentieth of July they're meeting, day before my wedding anniversary.
0: So I actually have it in well, my head. happy
1: anniversary and <laughs> right.
0: happy premieres. which, which yeah. to celebrate more, oh, right? It's hard to say, really, isn't it?
1: Well, let's wrap up with a quick round of good stuff from the gallery. That's where we share something notable that we think other political wonks might be interested in watching, listening to, reading. Paula, would you like to start us off?
3: Yes, I would. I would like her to recommend a very funny piece. Uh, the funniest piece I've read on Brexit yet, uh, from our National Post colleague, because <laughs> there's nothing funnier than Brexit. <laughs> That's right, from our National Post colleague Tristan Hopper, who's done nerds. a very a very naughty um, sort of primer on Brexit for people, which includes everything from you know uh, condoms to clouds that look like Margaret Thatcher to laser popping. Uh, to balloons popped by lasers <laughs> it's quite the thing um so, uh, so so if you've been trying to ignore the brexit debate and hoping that it had nothing to do with you and hoping it would go away i invite you to read tristan's uh very funny introduction to the issues of the brexit debate presented in the least stodgy
1: way imaginable excellent well that sounds pretty entertaining um i know that our colleague graham thompson who just couldn't be with us today uh Previously, has recommended John Oliver's show, but I must recommend his segment very specifically on buying up medical debt and what he did there last week. It was quite the sight to behold, it was a fantastic television and that's the kind of thing that I've been watching this week as I juggle the many things and uh, <laughs> related to my life. That's the kind of deep thinking I've been doing. Also, the new season of Homeland is on Netflix, and I may have been binge-watching that. I'll never say no to Homeland. <laughs> Emma, you, but you can raise the level of this uh, good stuff from the gallery. Let, let me
0: try. Okay, so talk did turn into education a little bit here, so um, I wanted to recommend a piece that... Uh, actually won the education Writers Association um, okay. award uh, for 2015 um, it is an amazing series from the Tampa Bay Times uh, it's called failure factories and um, it's a series of eight or nine stories about um, poverty and education and the very real effect it's had on schools down there it I was helping to judge these awards and um, I I'm dead inside let's start with that <laughs> i don't I, think that's these, true but okay. <laughs> one of these pieces actually moved me to tears it was that sad it was that heartbreaking to read about this violence among six-year-olds being punched in the face and and just bringing this um it, just what they bring from home and, and try and deal with it every day in school it, it's an amazing series it's again it's called um failure factories by the tampa bay times amazing read and yes it's about Florida, but you know what? It's worth worth, your, worth your well, work. you. Well, you know, that and it's fantastic. and it's not as
3: though we don't have issues like this of our own in some of our high needs high needs schools. I mean, I think these are lessons we need to take, so as to learn what not to replicate. Mm.
1: Fantastic. Well, thank you for redeeming us with that (laughs) excellent recommendation. Paula, yours was very good as well. I should just blame me. I had crap. That's it for this week. Thanks, Paula, (laughs) Emma, and Janet for joining me and to (laughs) videographer Sean Butts for filming our conversation so that we can give you a visual experience on edmontonjournal.com you can hear previous episodes of the show on that website or through the journal soundcloud feed the show's also on itunes and TuneIn radio if you subscribe it'll just be there for you as soon as we post it you won't have to wait for our tweets to tell you that it's there so thank you so much for listening we'll be back next week in the press gallery